If you have a copy of God's Word, either in print or on your device, I would encourage you to go ahead and make your way to the book of Jonah. Jonah is a small little uh, book in the Old Testament. And we're going to camp out in chapter 4 of Jonah this morning. Next week, we'll finish up the Jonah series by seeing what Jesus had to say about Jonah. And so we'll be in Jonah next week, but we'll be preaching uh, on Jonah out of the Gospels. Before you dive in, or before we dive into chapter 4, let me give you a quick recap uh, in case this is your first Sunday. Maybe you missed a Sunday along the way in the series. God goes to one of his prophets named Jonah, and he says, Jonah, look, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to the evil Ninevites, these uh, violent, wicked, I mean, just awful people. And to that invite, Jonah says, uh, God, I think, I'll, I think I'll pass on that one. Uh, because he hated the Ninevites. Jonah absolutely despised these people because of their violence. And so Jonah, Jonah begins to run from God. God uh, sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. It doesn't work, and so then God sends a great fish. That does work. Jonah repents in the belly of that great fish. And then the, finish, the fish vomits Jonah onto shore, and Jonah makes his way to the great city of Nineveh. He walks to the city heart, right in the middle of the city, and Jonah preaches a five-word message to these evil Ninevites, and the entire city including their wicked king, the entire city, all of them, they repent and they believe in God. And so scholars, many scholars, argue that this is likely the greatest revival in history. I mean, it's absolutely shocking that these Ninevites, these people that were literally, they were so evil that they would, they would skin their enemies alive. That they, these evil people, that they would listen to this Five-word message from Jonah, this, really this weak sauce message from Jonah. And it's just this incredible move of God, this incredible show of his mercy to these evil and sinful people. And that's where we're going to pick up in the narrative this morning. So we're actually going to start at the end of chapter 3, just to give you a little context, beginning in verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw that they, that is the Ninevites did how they turned, so how they repented from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, this is absolutely incredible. Surely you would think that in Jonah's case, this was cause for a great celebration. You're kind of reading through the narrative, and you think, man, Jonah's probably about to throw a big party. He's probably about to start, you know, dividing all these Ninevites up into small discipleship groups so he can begin like discipling all of these new believers as they grow in their faith in God. I mean, God has used Jonah to save this entire city and not just any city, the most wicked, violent, bloodthirsty city in the entire world. You just think, man, that's, that's got to be what Jonah's about to do. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What in the world is going on here with Jonah? So Jonah obeys God. 
He goes into Nineveh. He preaches. But now he is revealing that he has this seed. He has this idol of hatred for these people that's still hiding in his heart. I mean, Jonah right now is essentially saying, look, I'm still a bigot. I'm still, I'm still a racist. I'm still holding on to the idols of hatred and self-righteousness in my heart. And from that, from that verse right there, let's understand this truth. And this is our first truth this morning for you uh, note-takers in the crowd. It's this. You can fake obedience, but God wants your heart. You can fake, it's easy to fake it, isn't it? You can fake obedience, but God is after your heart. If, uh, if you know me and, and my wife and our family, you guys know we have, we have three children, we have two daughters, and then our, our littlest one is Judah. Uh, and just last week, I get home and Cheryl says, hey, listen, you need to deal with Judah. And that's not, that's not an unusual thing to hear when I get home. And, uh, and I said, well, what, what happened this time? She said, well, uh, he got mad at one of his sisters and he just punched her in the face. I said, man, are you kidding? So Judah, come here. We go in the room and, and we have a talk and I allow him to experience my discipline. <laughs> and we're sitting there. And I say, okay, buddy, here, here's the deal. Uh, you know I love you, man, but I can't let you do that. You, you, know, you know that as, as men, like we, we protect the women in our life. We don't, we don't hurt the women in our life. So you have to go apologize to your sister. You're, that, you have no choice. You're going to apologize to your sister. And so I take Judah out there to where, where Haley is, and he, he walks up there, and he's got, his, he's got his hands in his pocket like this and his head down, and his face is all red. And I say, okay, go ahead, tell her what you got to say. And so he looks up and he goes, sorry. You know, he's, just, he's just seething, right? He's, he's so angry, and so his, his lips are moving, saying the right thing. So he's being outwardly obedient because he had no choice. God, I was breathing down his neck. But his heart hadn't changed at all, right? So it's easy for us to kind of just go through the motions, fake obedience. But the reality is God wants our hearts. He, he, he wants our hearts. So you guys pray for my five-year-old son. He needs, <laughs> he needs Jesus in his life. <laughs> now, uh, you know, lest we be tempted uh, to be too hard on Jonah here and, and kind of say, man, Jonah is such a fraud, you know, it'd be easy to do, to say, hey, Jonah's a fraud, man. He, he didn't really mean it when he prayed that prayer in the belly of that great fish. Like, he, he didn't repent at all, probably. He was just, he was trying to save his own skin. Well, I think we just need to be careful. I don't think that that's entirely true. I think if you read Jonah chapter 2, his prayer in chapter 2 seems to be one of the most sincere prayers in the Bible to me. I think Jonah was like most of us. I think Jonah was human, you see, we can't, we can't crucify our sin or idols once and then expect to never struggle with it again. Every single day when we wake up, we have to make a decision to follow Jesus that day, to be led by the Spirit of God instead of our flesh that day. I think that's why Jesus in Luke's gospel says this. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if anyone would be my disciple, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Once, once in your life? Once a year? Christmas time? No. Daily. Take up your cross 
daily, every day when you wake up, you've got to wake up and make that decision that you're going to follow Christ. You're going to be led by his spirit and not by your flesh. Daily, follow me. Now listen, I don't know about you, but for me, when I put my life into neutral, when I put my spiritual life into neutral, I don't drift towards godliness. Do you? I just don't. I wish I did. I don't. I drift towards sin. I'm a lot like Jonah. I forget lessons that God has taught me, and I have to learn them again and again, oftentimes the hard way. Daily, I have to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. And I think that's what's happened to Jonah here. I think he repented truly in the belly of that great fish. He thought that he had it. He thought he had that idol under control in his heart. And then he allowed his heart to begin to drift. And that same idol resurfaced in his life, in his heart. And he had to deal with it again and again and again. And look, I like Jonah because I can relate to Jonah. I get it. I know what it's like. Jonah just couldn't seem to shake this idol of self-righteousness and hatred for these people. Now, if you missed a couple weeks ago, we defined what an idol is based on kind of the, the Scripture's collective idea of what idolatry is. Because the reality is, you may be sitting here and you're thinking, man, Chris, you're talking about idols And a lot of us, we think of idols as kind of like little golden statues, like a little Buddha statue or something like that, that we uh, bow down to or we pray to in our home. But the reality is an idol is much, uh, much broader than that. So let me give you the definition of what an idol is biblically, and then you can begin to kind of examine your heart, see what God tells you. So here's the definition of an idol. It should be on the screen. An idol is anything in your life that you love, trust, or find more comfort in than God. Anything could be something good. Anything that you love, trust, or find more comfort in than God himself. The idol that Jonah couldn't seem to shake was this idol of self-righteousness, this idea that he somehow deserved God's mercy and grace, but other people didn't deserve the same mercy and grace from God. That was, that was Jonah. So I just wonder, what's that one thing for you? Right? What's that one thing that you just can't shake in your life? You think you've got it whipped, like, like you repent, you pray about it, and then like a week later, a month later, it just rears its ugly head again. What's the one thing you just feel like you can't, you can't live without? Because the reality is, look, you can fool me. You can walk in here on a Sunday morning with your plastic smile and say, hey, brother, I had a great week. Yeah, walking with Jesus. Yeah, you can come in here and fool me. Maybe you're even good enough to fool the people in your life, your friends. But look, God sees your heart. Just like he saw Jonah's heart, God sees your heart. And that's what he's after. He wants your heart. That's what he's after here with Jonah. He's after Jonah's heart. Verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah essentially goes, God, how dare you? How dare you? I knew, this is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh. I knew you were going to do this. 
God, why are you so full of like mercy and grace and love? Why are you so slow to anger, abounding in love? So Jonah makes this list of the character of God. And by the way, it's like the best news ever that we have a God that is this good and this loving and so merciful. And Jonah is ticked off about it. He's so mad. So Jonah goes, look, God, this is why I ran. Because I knew you were going to do this, God. So just kill me. Tired of you being so awesome. Just Just want to die. See, Jonah would rather die than to see the Ninevites find forgiveness with God. And from that, let's not miss the second truth here. And the truth is this. Self-righteousness will poison you. It will poison you. Listen, if you want to be a miserable person with just like an angry, stone-cold heart that nobody wants to be around ever, Just allow self-righteousness to go unchecked in your life for long enough. It'll happen, I promise you. For some of you, maybe you're there right now. Because when self-righteousness blossoms in our lives, it produces the fruit of selfishness. Just Just to focus on ourselves and nothing else. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and you're wondering, man, why why is my marriage in shambles? I mean, it's just, it's miserable. It doesn't matter what I do, what I say. It just doesn't seem to get better ever. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, man, why can't I find any friends? Or why can't I find any lasting friends or deep friendships? Have you stopped and just listened to some of your own conversations? For some of you, it's all about you. It's all about you. Cheryl, my, my wife and I, uh, we, oftentimes we have conversations with each other uh, after we meet a new, uh, nice new couple or just a, a nice new person that moved into our neighborhood or wherever. But oftentimes, so often, probably more often than not, we'll come back together after having those conversations and we'll say, man, that guy was nice or that couple was nice, but we, we never could really truly be like friends with them. Like we, we couldn't really be for real friends with them because we, we talked for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it was, and it was all about them. Like they didn't even come up for a breath, not even for a second to ask us anything about us. Like this, they probably still don't even know, know my name. <laughs> they talked for an hour. I know their whole life story. They don't know anything about me. It's all about them. Listen, if everything in your life is all about you, you've left no room for God or anybody else in your life. And I think that's exactly where Jonah is right now. It's just everything is all about him. It's all about his feelings and what he wants and what he wants to see happen in the world around him. And we can be tempted as we kind of read this narrative to think, wow, Jonah, I cannot believe Jonah. What a horrible, terrible dude, right? To just be angry at God for saving an entire city of people? I would never be like Jonah. Really? You would never be like Jonah. You've never never felt just a little twinge of resentment when something good happens to somebody else when you think you deserve it more? Some of y'all want to say amen right now, but you're a little scared, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, got one honest person here, right? 
You've never rejoiced in your heart just a little bit when someone else fails because you think you deserve success more than they do? And I'll just confess this morning, if I'm the only one, I have those thoughts. I have those thoughts, man. Like, I, I, I know, like man, I know that pastor down at that church in Georgia or South Carolina. Man, I, I know how he treats his wife. I know how he treats his family. I know how he treats his staff. I've heard his sermons. They are weak. Like, my, my messages are so much better than his. How does he have 8,000 people coming to his church? Like, I've had those, those thoughts. Listen, that is self-righteousness. That is self-righteousness. And some of you are sitting there like, Pastor, I cannot believe you do that this one. L- listen, you've never had a coworker get a raise instead of you, and you just resented it a little bit in your heart? Really? You've never had a friend or an acquaintance get a boyfriend, and you think, how in the world? I am prettier than she is. How in the world? And I have a better personality than her to boot. How does she got a girlfriend, a boyfriend, right? How does she have that? And here I am, single on Valentine's Day again. That ain't right, right? That's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is just this thought that, that you somehow deserve God's blessing in your life, but that guy or that gal doesn't. And hear me when I say this, that idol will wreck your life. Just like it did for Jonah, it will wreck you. It will rob you of joy. It will poison the compassion that God wants you to have for other people in your life. And you will never, ever become the person that God wants you to be until you destroy that idol in your life. And that's exactly the point where God is trying to get Jonah to 2,700 years ago. Look, when you realize, when you really and truly realize how undeserving of God's grace, you really are. Let me just tell you this morning, even if we've never met, you don't deserve God's grace. You don't. You know why? Because you're messed up. You're messed up just like Jonah was messed up. You're messed up just like I'm messed up. And if you're thinking, Chris, that is a really arrogant statement for you to make because you've never even met me. If that's your thought right now, let me just ask you a question. This is a hypothetical. Obviously, this isn't real. But what if last week, while you guys were here, we had a technology that you didn't know about, and we implanted a little thing in your mind that would record all of your thoughts? And so for the last week, we've just recorded all of your thoughts, unbeknownst to you. And I say, okay, well, now we're going to put everybody's name up there, and we're going to put every thought that you've had over the course of the last week what would your initial reaction be? Just your thoughts for the last week, not your whole life, not the last 10 years. For one week, what would your thought be? My thought would be, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, this is not good. (laughs) Where's the fire alarm? (laughs) We got to get out of here somehow. Now, why would most of you have that reaction to that? Because deep down, you know you're messed up. And it's only in your self-righteousness that you can convince yourself that you're not completely messed up. Self-righteousness will poison you. It will deceive you, just like it did Jonah here. I love God's response to Jonah's little 
temper tantrum here. Verse four, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? God is like, Jonah, really? Really, I just, I just used you to bring an entire city under my mercy and you're ticked off about it. How's, how's that anger working out for you, bud? How's that going for you? Perhaps a little sarcasm even from the Almighty here. Eh? I love it. Verse five, Jonah went out of the city. So Jonah's ticked. He's like, man, I can't even handle this. I'm getting out of here. Jonah went out of the city. He sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So Jonah just takes his ball and goes home. He just stomps out of the city, sets himself up a little camp, and he's watching Nineveh to see what's going to happen to the city. And I think what's really happening here, I think Jonah is hoping that God changes his mind. He's hoping to see fire drop down from heaven and just consume the entire city. Jonah would be like, boom, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I wanted to see. God's justice, his wrath. Jonah is still hoping for God's judgment rather than his mercy for the Ninevites. Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So God God sends a plant for Jonah. I don't don't want you to miss this. How merciful is God? How merciful is God? Jonah's acting like a three-year-old. Just spit in the face of God. God has just used him to save hundreds of thousands of people. He's acting like a little spoiled brat. Just spit in the face of God. And God says, Jonah, listen, son, you need some rest. You need some rest. Let me, let me get some shade for you. Come over here in the shade. I want you to rest for a while. How incredible is that? Our God is, our God is a God of inconceivable mercy. I'm so grateful that God is a God of mercy and he, grace, and he doesn't give us what we deserve when we deserve it, aren't you? Incredible. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. (laughs) Love that. So that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind that the sun and, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. This is intense. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry for the plant, angry enough to die. He's still, he still, he doesn't get it, right? God is trying to get Jonah's attention. He sends a worm to attack the shade plant. He sends a hot wind. Jonah still doesn't get it. He's angry. And I just want to point out, as we have in previous chapters, this truth that God disciplines those he loves. God loved Jonah. Hebrews says that God disciplines, he reproves his sons and daughters. He disciplines those whom he loves. 
And so he sends the worm, he sends the wind, not because he hates Jonah, because he loves Jonah. One of the things Cheryl, uh, my wife and I, are very intentional about in our parenting is that when we have to discipline one of our three kids, we sit down with them and we tell them how much we love them. We explain to them that if we didn't love them, we wouldn't discipline them at all, right? When I sit down with my son, I say, hey, buddy, you can't, you can't hit your sister. That's, I'm not telling you that because I hate you. I'm telling you that because I, I love you and I don't want you to be in jail for the rest of your life, right? I love you, man. This is why we have to walk through these lessons of learning. Now, our daughters at 10 and 8 are old enough, I think, to understand that. And so we have those conversations. They get it. But our son, Judah, is five, and oftentimes, when I have those conversations with my son, he's sitting there with his fists clenched, with his jaw clenched, and he doesn't want to hear it at all because he's angry, because I just took away his toy, or I turned off his favorite Disney movie, or whatever it is. That's Jonah right now. He's like my five-year-old son, just clenched fist, clenched jaw, He's angry. Now look, we need to worry when there's no discipline from God in our lives. That's what we need to worry. Right? If you get on the treadmill of sin and nothing happens, you're just running from God and he never sends any discipline to get your attention like he was doing for Jonah right here in chapter 4. That's when we need to be concerned. And then God challenges Jonah's anger again. He says, Jonah, really? Are you really angry over a goofy plant. You really angry over a goofy plant. And Jonah's response is, God, kill me now. Heck yeah, I'm angry. Kill me. It's like dealing with a toddler here. But how many times are we exactly like that in our lives? I mean, just so, just so blinded by our own selfishness that we can't even see what God is doing in our lives and around the people, the people around our lives. So blinded by our own selfishness. It's exactly where Jonah is. And then the book finishes up with um, verses 10 and 11. It says this, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. That's how the book, that's how the book ends. God loves cows too. That's what I got out of it. It's a hilarious way to end the book. And I think it's simply just a way to highlight the greatness of Nineveh, the greatness of the city, right? There are tons of people Tons of animals, tons of wealth that could be used for good instead of evil. And God is saying to Jonah, you're crying over a plant. You're crying over a plant. Jonah, what about, what about all these people? What about all these people that don't even know their right hand from their left? What about them? Shouldn't I have mercy on them? Shouldn't you shed a tear for them? And the book ends with a question, and the question is essentially this. Jonah, do you care? Man, do you even care? And as we read this narrative, we're sort of left to wonder, like, 
Did Jonah ever get it, right? Because the book doesn't tell us. It ends in a cliffhanger. It ends with a question. And the reality is we don't know for certain if Jonah ever really got it. There are a lot of scholars that believe that Jonah actually penned this book as an autobiography. So that would suggest that he did eventually get it. He's writing this. He's posing the same question that God posed to him. He's posing it to us this morning. Do you even care? And it's a question that just forces us, I think, to contemplate where our hearts truly are. It's a question that invites us to live under God's great mercy, not as hypocrites that think we deserve his mercy and his grace and other people don't deserve it. And the truth is, it's a question that should absolutely propel us to live as agents of God's grace to other people. It's a question that invites us to join God on his mission to reconcile people just like the Ninevites who are far from him people that he created, people that he loves that are far from him. God invites us to join him in his mission of reconciliation. And from that final question, we get a final truth. And perhaps it's the most important truth in the entire book of Jonah, and it's this. God's love is for all people. God's love is for all people all peoples, all nations, all people groups, all races, all genders, everyone. And he is on a rescue mission to draw those who are far from him. And listen, if you're in this room this morning and you're a believer, you already believe. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus. The reason that you and I, as his sons and daughters, are drawing breath the reason that we have life right now, the only reason, the primary reason, is to join him in that mission. To reconcile the Ninevites in our world, in our lives. To reach out and to help draw those who are far from God near to him. I want to wrap up this morning by giving you three don'ts that we can learn from Jonah chapter 4 this morning, and then we'll pray, we'll celebrate with the Lord's Supper. But here are three don'ts. We can learn a lot of lessons from Jonah in chapter 4 that are pretty much all bad. So uh, here they are. Number one, don't justify your idols. Don't just, listen, don't justify your idols or the sin in your life. Don't do what Jonah did. Jonah was so wrapped up in this idol of self-righteousness, thinking that he was better or more deserving than somebody else. He would would literally rather die than to give up that idol. And God had to teach him hard lessons to free him of the slavery of those idols in his life. Don't justify the sin in your life, friend. Don't justify the idols in your life. It's easy to do, just like Jonah did, but it won't get you far in life. Number two, don't give your life away to things that don't matter. Don't give your life away to things that don't matter. Jonah was obsessed with goofy things like shade plants. Don't wake up one day just to realize that you wasted your precious days and years on stuff that will not count in the end. 
Focus on the Ninevites in your life, not the plants in your life. Number three, don't retreat from the mission. Believer, do not retreat from the mission. When Jonah was obedient, he went into Nineveh. He went into the city. He went into the culture. He engaged culture, and God did amazing things in and through Jonah. When he retreated and he left the city, he left the culture, he fell right back into those patterns of selfishness and self-pity. And church, listen to me. I'm afraid that so many of us live our lives in retreat from our culture. We get up in the morning and we get in our cars and we hit the garage door and it comes up and we drive to work and we do our thing wherever we're working or whatever we're doing during the day. We drive home in the evenings, we hit the garage door button, we pull it in, we hit it again so it closes behind us so we don't have to perhaps talk to our weird neighbor. You know, we go in, we eat dinner, we veg out on TV for a couple hours, we wake up, wash, rinse, repeat. It's the same thing, right? Listen, friend, we cannot engage Nineveh while retreating. Don't retreat. Engage your culture. Engage your friends. Engage your neighbors. As we close uh, this morning, as I said a minute ago, the book ends with a question. The question is this. Do you care? Do you care? Jonah was more worried about a stupid plant than 120,000 people who were on a path to separation from God forever. And God was challenging that in Jonah's life, and I think he's challenging that in your life this morning. Do you care? I promise you, you have dozens, maybe even hundreds of people in your life right now who are Ninevites. There are people that God created. There are people that God loves and they are far from him. Listen, when is the last time that you even cared enough to pray for them? Seriously. When's the last time you just took a couple of minutes and got on your knees and said, God, my father needs you. My sister needs you. My neighbor needs you. They need you like I need you. They need you like the Ninevites needed your mercy. They need your mercy. When's the last time you even stopped and prayed for the Ninevites that God has placed in your life? And friend, what's the plant in your life right now? What's distracting you right now in your life from the mission of God? What is it? You know what I think it is for me? I think the idol that distracts me the most from God's mission of reaching people all around me like the Ninevites, for me, that idol is me. It's my comfort. That's that's my idol. The reality is most days I think I love me. I love my comfort more than I love the people around me who are far from God. And that's not okay. The reality is that's a shame. 
And I need to repent of that every single day. And I'm going to repent of it again in just a minute when we pray before we take the Lord's Supper together. But what is that idol for you? For me, it's me. It's my comfort. What's that idol for you? What's that plant for you? What's distracting you from the one thing that God has you on this planet for right now? What is it for you? And listen, for some of you, the first idol that you absolutely have to deal with before you can get to anything else is the idol of not really surrendering your life to Jesus. Listen, some of you, I, I get it, man. I, I, I was in your shoes. You grew up in church. You know all the right Sunday school answers. Maybe you even serve here in some capacity. Maybe you're a leader here. But you've never really and truly surrendered your life to Jesus. If that's you this morning, that's your first step. It is only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that anyone can find a relationship with God. And it's only through that relationship that we can really find forgiveness and peace and love and acceptance and purpose in our lives. And so if you've never done that at any point in your life, if you've never started that relationship with Jesus by just surrendering your life to him, that's your step this morning. That's step one. You can't walk before you crawl. You can't run before you walk. You can't find what your heart is searching for before you know the one who created and shaped your heart. And so if that's you this morning, when we pray in just a moment, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. When we have that time, here's my encouragement to you. If that's you, simply ask God in the silence of your own heart. Say, God, please forgive me. Just like the Ninevites, please forgive me. Help me walk away from these, these idols, these sin patterns. I want to get off the treadmill of sin in my life. Forgive me of that. I'm giving myself to you because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. If you pray that prayer, you can begin your faith journey with Jesus today, just like I did 18 years ago. Wherever you're at this morning, I want to give you some time to bow your heads. I would just invite you to bow your heads right now where you are and pray. Just do business with God and say, God, in light of what you've said in Jonah chapter 4, what do you want me to do? What's the idol in my life? What's the plant in my life distracting me? God, help me. Teach me. Encourage me. Push me. Help me to care. Help me to love those in my life who are far from you. Help me not to waste my life chasing meaningless things.